Welcome into the Double Dribble Podcast. My name's Jordan Harper, and joining with me as always is my co-host Matthew Landry. And today we're pleased to welcome our first ever guest on the Double Dribble Podcast, and that's Aaron Torres. He's a college basketball and football writer for Fox Sports and host of the Fox Sports Radio Show and the Aaron Torres Podcast. Aaron, welcome onto the show, man. And how, how how's it going? It's going good, guys. Uh, you know, I wish uh, I wish some of these Bama L's had been W's so we'd have a little more fun stuff to talk about. But uh, it's been certainly at the very least an entertaining season for the Tide. And, uh, you know, I genuinely appreciate you guys having me. Oh, yeah, the pleasure's ours. And, yeah, you're right. A lot of these L's should have been W's, and Alabama fans will be the first to tell you that. And a lot of these double-digit, you know, blown leads in the second halves, you turn those into wins, and, I mean, they're a surefire NCAA tournament team right now. Um, but I was going to start off. I, I got to put you on blast here a little, Aaron. Sure, I'll, do it. Go crazy. <laughs> you sound like my wife. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> um, I was just going through my bookmark tweets that that I had on Twitter. I just like to look at them sometimes. What I bookmark, and I was going sure. through, and I actually came on came up on a couple of tweets of yours. Um, okay. Back, back on March twenty seventh of two thousand nineteen. Sure. Which ha- which happens to be the date that Nate Oates was hired at Alabama. Mm-hmm. You may remember what you said. I, I don't know, but you said that when John Petty and Daniel Giddens announced that they were transferring, um, you said if they would have kept Avery Johnson, they'd probably been the second or third best team in the SEC, which is now this year. And so sure. you really wondered if it was really worth moving off Avery Johnson um, for the next coach to start with scratch. Uh, essentially but three hours later coincidentally Alabama announced that they hired Nate Oates and you changed your tune a pretty good bit actually a complete 180 I mean you you said adios Avery Johnson and Nate Oates is a killer hire so tell me a little bit about your thought process on um, when they let go of Avery Johnson and kind of the turmoil that happened of all the players announcing they're transferring and then the switch to Nate Oates becoming head coach yeah, it's actually really funny, guys. I actually vividly remember that day. Um, it was during the West Regional last year. Uh, I was driving down to Anaheim where the West Regional was. It was, I believe, a Wednesday media availability. The games were on Thursday. And we had Gonzaga, Michigan, Texas Tech, and Florida State having media availability that day. And I was driving down, and you know, I saw the report that uh, you know, all the guys were entering the portal. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, I th- well, it's, it's just funny how it all came together. But, you know, I think that's kind of the, the landscape of where we are in college athletics. And I think it's something that just as we get set for this next wave of, of coaching cycles here in the next you know month or so, um, I, I think it's something that ADs now have to consider is that kids no longer are going to sit there and wait, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it takes for you to make the perfect hire kids are now smarter. They're now more aware. And, you know, and every time you fire a coach, you're going to run the risk of a significant number of your players entering the portal. And let's be honest with the possibility now that players can transfer without sitting out, you might even lose guys before you make a hire. So it's something that every, uh, you know, uh, program has to be careful of. And so, you know, I, I, listen, what I would say guys is this, is that, you know, I, I always say this on my podcast and I really believe it. You know, I have strong opinions and people say I have quote unquote hot takes, but here's the reality is 
I have to react to information as I have it in real time. And then what ends up happening is as the information changes, you have to adjust your opinion accordingly. And so I bring that up because when you, you fire a coach that had your team on the bubble and had made the NCAA tournament the year before, you know, I'm sitting there saying that's a bad move now. Mm. And oh, by the way, when all your players enter the portal as well. And then, you know, again, you adjust your opinion as time goes on and you realize that, okay, one, maybe Avery Johnson really didn't want to be there. Maybe this wasn't just a school completely pulling uh, the ripcord on a, on a, on a coaching hire. And two, they go out and, 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 and get it, who I thought was a really, really good coach. And Nate Oates, who obviously had a uh, uh, Buffalo as a six seed last year and all that stuff. And so I bring it up because, you know, I don't regret either tweet. I thought they were, I thought it was actually funny how it all came together. But like, this is my job as somebody in the media is like, you have to react to, to things in real time. Like I always say this, right? So like I picked Michigan state to win the national championship before the season. Maybe people thought that was a hot take. Maybe they didn't, you know, they were number one seed. I would hope people didn't think that was a hot take, but you know, the, the actual hot take for me, you know, for me right now in, in February, end of February, uh, six months into the season, the, the hot take would be for me to say, no, Michigan State's still going to win the national championship because I have to adjust in real time um, to what's happening, you know, surrounding me. And so I bring all that up to say, I thought the move didn't make sense at the time. I saw a lot of players entering the portal. Fast forward a couple hours later, and I was literally at the West Regional uh, at media availability when the news broke and it kind of swept through the media room. And I was like, wow, I was wrong on that one. I went <laughs> on that one. I suck. And then sure enough, they get Nate Oates and Nate Oates. I think he did his best recruiting job, keeping Kyra Petty and, and John uh, or keeping Kyra Lewis and John Petty, uh, you know, in the program. And, uh, you know, it's been an up and down season, but that was kind of how it happened. But yeah, man, it's it's crazy doing what we all do in the media of you got to react in real time. At, at, you know, uh, at one point, about 10 a.m. Pacific time, I hated the move about four or five hours later. I love the move. Adios, Avery Johnson. <laughs> Yeah, so just going off what you said, Aaron, about the move and how at first it was kind of questionable, but it's kind of turned into a move that you liked as time went on. What are some things you've seen from Alabama this year that are encouraging to you about the future of the program as they moved on from Avery Johnson into this new era with Nate Oates? Yeah, I think it's two things. I think one, you know, I, I know the losses are frustrating, and as, as you guys kind of laid out, Anybody listening to this show knows how the losses have come. It's been big leads uh, being blown or falling behind and having a rally and maybe not quite coming back. Um, but despite that, what I do like about Alabama is I, I do think that throughout the year they have gotten better. I do think they've gotten a little bit of a mental toughness about them. Now, listen, they've lost some games recently. That kind of makes it silly for me to say that. But, you know, this was a team that lost on opening night to Penn, and it wasn't pretty. And then you lose at Rhode Island, you lose a bunch of games in the Bahamas, and you think the season is over before it even began. And so, one, for them to just rally to put, the, put themselves in tournament consideration, I think is a step in the right direction, even though, as you guys pointed out, there's probably a couple losses that should be wins, and they should be uh, a lot further off the bubble and in the field than they are. Uh, but I think the other thing that I really, what I really like about where they're at and where they're going is that they have a defined identity. And I've said this a million times, and I don't know if you know this guy, but, but Ryan Fowler, who hosts a radio show down in Tuscaloosa is a really good friend of mine. And I've been on with him, you know, you know, all throughout football season, but also basketball season as well. And what I always tell Ryan is, you know, Alabama basketball plays such an appealing style 
that I don't know how you can be a guard anywhere in the country and not say that you you want to you're at least interested or want to be part in what Alabama is doing because they play so fast, they shoot so many threes. And so that's what I really like about them is that that there is work to be done. There are games that are losses that should have been wins, but they have a definitive style. And now it comes down to can you recruit to it? Can you continue to to get your you, you know the players already on the roster more comfortable in that style? But again, I just love that that they do in fact have a definitive kind of how they play. And I do think, like I said, it'll be appealing as they hit the recruiting trail this summer and going forward. And they obviously now have a sample size to prove what they're going to kind of do. Yeah, I have I have no trouble believing that Nate Oates will end up getting elite recruit level recruits to come play for his system. Because you have Kyra Lewis, who you know was was a borderline five four star when he reclassified into the uh, the twenty twenty or the twenty nineteen class and came in as a seventeen year old and. I mean, if you're a fast guard, if you're a shooting guard that likes to shoot a lot of threes, this is going to be your place. And recently, a, a top prospect, a number 27 and 24-7 ranking Josh Primo reclassified to the 2020 class. And it's between Alabama and Creighton. And he's considered a one-and-done top prospect who shoots the three very well. And Nate Oates is going to have to start landing these guys. And it's kind of like when Avery Johnson landed Colin Sexton. Because when Colin Sexton came on, John Petty came on. And stars want to play with stars. So if Nate Oates can start getting these elite recruits, that's going to open the eyes of other elite recruits when they see the success. And once he starts putting you know, college players into the NBA, that's when his recruiting is going to take off. Because I have no doubt that his system will end up being successful in the long run because you see what Bruce Pearl's doing at Auburn. Systems like that, the run-and-gun type of offense, is ends up being very successful because you shoot a lot more shots, and the more possessions you have, the more chances to score you have. So if Nate Oates – recruiting is going to be the big question mark because Nate Oates has never recruited in the like a conference like the SEC where you're going up against Calipari, Bruce Pearl, Rick Barnes, people that – coaches that have gotten elite recruits in the past. So Matt and I have kind of discussed on here that recruiting is going to decide – how successful Nate Oates can be um, at Alabama. Do you kind of agree with that? Or do you feel like he can get diamonds in the rough type of players like Jaden Shackelford, who was recently freshman of the week in the country, that was a three-star recruit, and kind of just develop him into the player he is now? So what are you? Th- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting, actually. It's, it's funny you guys kind of bring up the recruiting element of this. I, um, you know, so the, the opening weekend of the July recruiting period last year, um, it, what, maybe it wasn't the opening weekend. I think it was the weekend of Peach Jam, which is like the big, you know, the national event. But there was a kid named Dacian Nix, um, who's a McDonald's All-American. He's now committed to UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was playing at some small event not far from where I live in Los Angeles. And um, he brought out uh, Mick Cronin, who obviously ended up landing him, Mike Hopkins, who's the head coach at Washington. And on the first day of the recruiting period, Nate Oates was right there. And I saw Nate Oates and, and, you know, we talked for a minute and it wasn't anything about Nick specifically. And I certainly don't want to share anything that, you know, coach Oates wouldn't, you know, want me to talk about, but I, I, we didn't talk. We talked for, you know, a minute. It wasn't anything crazy like that. But the reason I bring all this up is because it was so obvious that, you know, he was being aggressive, flying across the country, using the resources that Alabama and the SEC can provide to let this kid know how important he was to that recruiting class. And obviously look, Alabama didn't end up landing him, but 
I think when, when, when you look at, at the fact that Nate Oates was so aggressive out of the gate, um, I give him credit. I give him credit because you guys just nailed it, is that he never has recruited guys to this level, recruited guys at this level. But, it, but if you even look at the teams that he was competing with, um, listen, you lose Isaiah Jackson to Kentucky, like, you know, when a McDonald's All-American, you know, I, I guess Isaiah Jackson was a McDonald's All-American, but, you know, a top 30 prospect has an offer from Kentucky. It's hard for that kid to say no. Dacia mm-hmm. Nix, who I just mentioned, you know, I mean, he's a West Coast kid uh, from Alaska, lives in Vegas now. He, he wants to be close to his family. It's hard to say no to UCLA when UCLA offers you and you're a West Coast kid. Uh, Namari Burnett, it's hard to say no to Texas Tech when they're coming off of a Final Four. And so I give Nate Oates credit for even being in the conversation with those kids, um, you know, whatever, two, three months after taking the job. Now, ultimately, you do have to land some of those kids. And ultimately, the question becomes, does Nate Oates continue to pursue those types of players? Does he want to build around one-and-done guys, potential McDonald's All-Americans? Does he want to build around three- and four-year guys? I don't know him well enough to know what his long-term plans it, plan is. He seems to be going big-game hunting, or at least that's certainly what he did in the 2020 cycle. Obviously, he missed on some, but again, I'm not going to criticize a coach when you have the opportunity to sign a kid, you're in the Final Four, and they choose Kentucky, or they choose uh, UCLA, or they choose a, a team that made the Final Four last year. And so... I think recruiting is important. I think as important as defining, are we going to get into that one and done world with the elite players? Maybe in the next two or three years, these elite players that we're going to spend so much time recruiting, they might not even go to college at all. They might have the option to go to the, you know, the G League or the professional ranks. We don't know that yet. But I think that's kind of the big phase is figuring out what kind of kids do you want to recruit? What kind of kids are you going to be able to get to Alabama, get to play, uh, and then have success in your system as well? Um, and so I think recruiting to your guys' point is important, but I think developing that game plan, and maybe it's already been developed, but developing that game plan and just figuring out the types of guys you want I think are going to be so key. Yeah, talk, talking about the – the 2020 class of you mentioned Amari Burnett and Isaiah Jackson, who were two guys that Alabama really led for at some point in time. And a lot of people uh, predicted Alabama to land one or even both of those guys. And that's without Nate Oates even, you know, coaching a game yet. Like that's how, that's how powerful like his voice and like putting on the tape or going over what kind of style he plays is so attractive to some of these young kids. Like Namari Burnett oh. and Isaiah Jackson, they're they're both really good defensive players. I think Isaiah Jackson's arguably the best defensive player in this class. But they want to play a fun, up-tempo style. And that's something that he's going to be able to sell. And he's going to have game film now from Alabama and showing what kind of success he had in a big conference. Because I feel like some of these kids, they look at what he did at Buffalo, and they were wondering how it was going to translate to Alabama. And well, a couple of things, a couple of things. I don't mean to cut you off, but I think I think a couple of things. One, first of all, we got to remember, you know, he was going after the best of the best in the country. And it wasn't as though they had any allegiance to Alabama. Right. So like mm-hmm. Eric Musselman at Arkansas has done an incredible job uh, recruiting. They have a top, I believe, top five, six class in the country right now. But most of those kids are either from Arkansas, have family in Arkansas, grew up in Arkansas and now go to a, a you know prep school somewhere else. They have ties to Arkansas, which was easy for Arkansas to sell. The guys that I mentioned, and you guys might know better, but you know, I know Namari Burnett's parents a little bit. He's from Chicago and he plays it in, in California right now. 
He has no ties to Alabama. Um, you know, maybe Isaiah Jackson does. I don't know him as well. Uh, Dacian Nix, as I said, is from Alaska. He has no ties to Alabama. So I think that, that, you know, that's part of it too, is to be so aggressive with kids that, that, you know, are all over the country that, that have no ties to Alabama, as I've said a couple of times now. But the other thing I said, and I think you guys are so right, is now that you have film, now that you've seen what, what it looks like on tape, I do think it makes it more appealing. And I would finally add, if Kyra Lewis ends up as a first-round draft pick this year, and I think there's a good chance that he will, I think that's the key right there. Because kids now, we're recruiting, you know, in basketball, when it comes to recruiting, it really is as simple as what schools are going to get me to the next level as fast as possible and prepare me. This is why John Calipari has had so much success over the past 10, 12 years, dating back to his time at Memphis, because he not only gets big recruits in, but he gets them to play to their potential and he gets them drafted where they're supposed to. It'll be very interesting to see what happens with Penny Hardaway on the flip side. Penny Hardaway brings in the number one recruiting class in the country. We know that the best player left, but you know, he had two, three, four kids in that class that thought they were going to be one and done. And outside of one of them, they're not trending that way. And a lot of them are going to have to come back to school either at Memphis or somewhere else uh, after not expecting to be in college for more than one year. And if you look at Memphis's 2020 recruiting class, I don't know if you guys have seen it. They haven't signed a single guy yet. Now they're still going to get their guys in the spring, but you know, that is going to be a question for him going forward. You know, Penny Hardaway, um, you know, made this big talk about all the smoke and, you know, we're going to do this thing and, and, you know, we're going to be almost basically what, what Penny Hardaway's recruiting pitch has basically been is we've all been to the NBA. We know what it takes to get to the NBA. We're going to be a basically an NBA developmental program well he ain't developing guys and he's struggling i think in reality on the recruiting classes uh in 2020 and 2021 because of it now that doesn't mean it can't change by the end of the year but i'm just saying all of these things matter and so the fact that you know we have now a year's worth of film to see what it looks like and the fact that kyra lewis very well might be a first round draft pick i think both those things are going to help nate oats very much yeah, and just going off what you said about Kyra Lewis being a potential first-round pick, I think one of the bigger recruiting gets Nate Oates has already had was out of the transfer portal last year where he adds Javon Quinterly. Uh, so just going off that, what are some things you can see for next year's Alabama team now that we've seen the style of play that Oates is bringing in, we've seen it implemented, we've seen it, the rollout, the rough copy of it to begin with, bringing in Javon Quinterly to replace potentially Kyra Lewis next year should he turn pro and returning Jaden Shackelford and adding guys like Jawan Gary and junior college transfer from last year, James Rojas, what are some things you think Alabama could bring to the table next year that maybe we haven't completely seen this year? Well, I'm just fascinated to see what Javon Quinterly looks like. Um, you know, this was a guy, you know, obviously I saw him a ton in high school and, you know, he was in all the big, you know, all American games and he was a really well-regarded AAU player. But, you know, he never really got off the bench at, at Villanova, never really got into his comfort zone. And, you know, he's a guy that it's really interesting. You know, he was kind of in the middle of that that storm at Arizona. But, you know, I know some guys at Arizona and, you know, they'll they'll swear on their, you know, whatever their grave that the reason he was coming to Arizona wasn't because there was some, you know, a couple thousand dollars exchanged here and there. It was because the ball was going to be in his hands and Sean Miller was going to say, go you're you're in charge and if you look back at the Arizona team that they had last season that would have been Javon Quinterly's role and so I bring all that up to say 
I just think he's a kid that needs the ball in his hands and he he's going to gain confidence as as the season, you know, it's been so long since he's played, but but he's a guy that needs to be on the floor and he needs to uh, and, and he'll gain confidence as time goes on. So that was kind of jumbled and confusing. But like the point I'm trying to make is I think he's going to be really good next year at Villanova last year. You know, they kind of it was start and stop herky jerk in terms of the minutes they were giving him and in terms of what his role was. And every game it had changed and this and that and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so I, I think once he's on the floor, he'll be fine. I've been so impressed by Jaden Shackelford this season, how he stepped in, um, you know, a, a, as a young guy and really just, you know, uh, just been phenomenal. And, you know, I, I don't follow college hoops recruiting uh, super close. I mean, I feel like I know quite a bit, but certainly not like an Evan Daniels or a Corey Evans. And I just want to know how the heck everybody in the Pac-12 missed on Jaden Shackelford because he has been unbelievable. Like, seriously, like, yeah. like I watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball. There's a lot of teams that could use a guy like this, although I actually think the Pac-12 is pretty good this year. But so anyway, so um, I think he's going to just continue to develop. Um, and then some of the other guys that are coming off injuries, all that stuff, we'll wait and see. I would also not be surprised. I know they got Beetle Bolden on the grad transfer market this year. And I just think as, as these were, these uh, transfer rules change potentially as early as next season, I would have to imagine that Nate Oates is going to be, you know, in the SEC, you're going to need to to fill holes and, and, and go the grad transfer route at certain points and maybe just the regular transfer route if everyone is eventually ruled eligible. So um, I, I, you know, it's, it's crazy because, but this is how college basketball is in 2020 and I hate it, but it's just the way it is, is that it's really outside of a piece or two kind of hard to project what a team, uh, in the case of Alabama is going to look like next year when you're expecting to lose Kyra Lewis, you have a couple seniors as is, um, and, uh, you know, and so it's just one of those deals where I like the pieces that they have coming back. I have no doubt they're probably not done in terms of finding, another piece or two uh, to, uh, to, to bring in next year, potentially on the grad transfer market, et cetera. But I think they'll be really good with Javon Quinterly with the ball in his hand. Yeah. What, what a lot of people forget is before the season even started, they lost top 100 freshman uh, Jawan Gary, the top player out of South Carolina uh, to a torn ACL. And then they lost a junior college transfer who was a junior Juco all American and James Rojas before they even played a game. So Nate Oates was already, before the season started, cut to about an eight-man rotation when he likes to play nine or ten guys because of the pace he plays and to get people wear out pretty easily. So that that was a tough hand, or hand to be dealt for him. And then Herb Jones um, started off the year against Penn, only played ten minutes because he hurt his wrist. And, mm-hmm. and then throughout the season, he played with a bum wrist and then ultimately ended up having to have surgery on it because he ended up being broken after the LSU or during the LSU game. And the warrior he is ended up finishing the game, but missed the Tennessee and Arkansas game, which were two key games that they really needed to win at home. Um, And they would have really liked to have him in the lineup. But I was going to bring up one stat to you before we get to a little bit of bracketology um, for you, Aaron. And I posted on Twitter today that in the, this one season with Nate Oates, Alabama has scored a hundred points in a game three times. Sure. You know how you know how many times they've scored it in the ten years prior, which is the eight Avery Johnson and Anthony Grant ten years. I would guess not many. I would guess uh, three or fewer. Two. Wow, Two. that's a great stat. Yeah, yeah, and eight, I mean that's a pretty extreme comparison. But if you drop it down and go to ninety plus points, Nate Oates has scored or Nate Oates team has scored eight eight times ninety points or more. 
and in those 10 years, eight combined. Like that just shows that the culture has changed. It is not a slow paced, run out the shot clock defensive kind of game because Nadeau's defense is, you know, in the back back half of the the country, obviously the way they play, but um, it, it's a lot more fun and appealing basketball. And I have no doubt the recruiting is going to pick up um, for Nadeau's. But um, to finish it up, Aaron, um, I was just going to bring up Alabama's chances on making the NCAA tournament. That's what all the Alabama fans really want to hear. And when you look at their peripherals, their net's good at 40, the strength schedule's at 22. Um, they have six quad one and two wins. Played a really tough schedule. Um, I don't know if you look into this, but Ken Palm's luck rating has them as the third unluckiest team in the country. Just a little side note there. But um, most bracketologists or brackets have them around the you know, eighth team out or so or not even barely in consideration. So... What I know you texted me after the A&M game and said they're not going to make the tournament. Um, <laughs> but, um, so I'm sure that's what Alabama fans really want to hear. But um, kind of go off of what you think they need to do or um, what they have left that they um, they have to do to make the tournament. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and this is – and it's funny because, you know, and I, I always tell my buddy Ryan Fowler, as I said, he hosts a, a radio show down in Tuscaloosa. He's a football guy. And so even two, three weeks ago before, you know, Bama hit that recent skid that they've been on, he was asking me, how are we even in the conversation with all of these losses? And, you know, we lost to Penn and we lost to Rhode Island, da 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 And what I said was, you know, unfortunately, I think that that the college basketball community has become too reliant on analytics, on numbers, on computers. And certainly the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, I think, has has has, um, you know, kind of used the numbers as a crutch. In other words, as an excuse to, you know, not do critical thinking, to not really look at teams individually. But. I also think that's an advantage to Alabama because as you guys just laid out, the numbers really do the really the numbers really are friendly to Alabama, but at a certain point, there's only so much that the computers can help you before you just have to win games. And mm-hmm. so when they lost to AM at home the other day, you know, I really just thought that was probably the 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 nail in the coffin where where I, you know, I don't know this for sure, guys. I would think they have to win just about every game left on their schedule. And the one thing I will say, it is a very manageable final two weeks of the regular season at Mississippi State, um, you know, at Mizzou, South Carolina and Vanderbilt should all be winnable games. I think Mississippi State's a pretty good team, but they're another one. Their win loss record tells me they're not as good as what my eyes tell me. And Mm -hmm. so if you're Alabama and you've got veterans and you've got guys that have been around, this is your opportunity. This is your window. I certainly think Alabama probably has to win out. They probably have to win a game or two in Nashville, and then they'll probably be in pretty good shape. My issue is I don't I haven't seen anything from Alabama all year that makes me think that they will win the games that they're supposed to. It's actually really funny. I'll give you guys a little funny side story. I'm sure you guys saw the tweet that I put out the other night about, you know, Bama watching Bama basketball is like, you know, weekend in Vegas. You don't know how it's going to start and you don't know how it's going to end, but you're going to be entertained along the way. You're going to have a wild time along the way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I, I have a buddy who's a, a professional gambler and, you know, sometimes he wants to, you know, run, run picks by me and run thoughts by me. And I'm far from perfect that uh, we're recording here on Sunday. All my picks have gone to hell, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but, you know, he asked me about Ole Miss and, and he said, you know, this, this Alabama Ole Miss game, he said, what do you th-? No, 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 he didn't say, what do you think? He said, you know, he, he laid out four or five stats. 
that really favored, you know, Ole Miss kind of covering the points and being a good value in terms of a pick that a gambler would make. And I just said, man, I've been burned by Alabama. So I, I said to him, I said, I'm sure all your numbers make sense. And I'm, and I have no reason to doubt that it's a good value bet, but I also think there's a human element. I test to all this stuff that Alabama, uh, you know, I just haven't seen from them that I can trust them to go on the road as a slight. I don't even remember if they were a slight underdog or a slight favorite and beat a team that they're supposed to. I'm not saying that the numbers don't say that they should. I'm just saying that every time that we need them to win the game that they need to win, they can't do it. Whether it is dating back to, you know, Penn on opening night, whether it is dating back to an Arkansas game where I thought for sure they were going to win or a Tennessee game where Tennessee is really beat up and not as good as they've been in years past, or certainly the Texas A&M game this weekend. And so I bring all that up just to simply say, uh, like, you know, I, I think the schedule is very manageable for Alabama down the stretch to get on a win streak, going to Nashville in the SEC tournament and potentially play themselves back onto the bubble and maybe even in potentially into the field of 68. I just think the big question is we now have a 27 game sample size uh, and I've seen nothing that tells me that Alabama is going to go, is going to get the wins that they need and is going to, uh, you know, be a team that hears their name called on selection Sunday. Yeah, at at some point you have to stop looking at the numbers and really just look and see. They're fifteen and twelve. I mean, they are what they are. They they win they win a game, they lose a game. They've had a four game win streak, a three game losing streak. I mean, they're very inconsistent, um, which seems like most of college basketball now. And it is something that has been. It's a lot of parity in the in the in the country, and that's something exciting to watch when it comes to tournament time. You really don't know who's gonna. Um, get upset and any team can beat another team on any given day and like you like you said going off your point that they have a big enough sample size where you see there's games they should have should have won that they ultimately didn't and there's honestly games where they shouldn't have won and they did I mean so it's a tough team to pick or to get a gauge on everybody feels that way it's been like that for years Um, now they they either make the NIT or make the NCAA tournament. It seems like every year for the past, you know, seven, eight years. So they're good enough to make it, but they don't win the games down the stretch to put them over the top to only have two NCAA tournament bursts in the past 10 years. So we'll see how all that shapes out. Um, like I said, Alabama has four games left. All of them are winnable. And then you got the SEC tournament, which has a good opportunity for some wins. Matt and I were talking last week that we could see Alabama losing out and winning the SEC tournament. That's just the, <laughs> yeah. that's just the type of team this team is. Um, they can yep. get hot at any time, um, but they can also get cold. So, And the SEC looks to be pretty wide open when it comes to tournament time. But we'll, we won't mm-hmm. keep you much longer, at, uh, Aaron. We really appreciate you coming on, and I hope you feel as honored as we are that you're the first ever guest on the Double Dribble podcast. No, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate you guys having me. Um, and like I said, I, I, I've really enjoyed it. And obviously, going back to kind of the opening of the, the introduction, um, you know, I, I, I really have high expectations for what Coach Oates is going to do uh, down at Alabama. And I, I, I wish we could be talking coming off a two-game win streak, coming off the win over AM and the win over Ole Miss. Although probably if they had beaten AM, they might have lost to Ole Miss on Saturday. So, <laughs> yeah. um you know, it's just one of those deals. I, you know, I, 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 I totally respect what you guys are doing. 
Uh, keep up the good work. I, I wish he had a few more wins to talk about than losses, but keep mm-hmm. up the good work. And anytime you guys need me, just holler. Do appreciate it, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate Aaron coming on. And um, now we're going to get back to get to the game last night. Um, it was a very entertaining game. Alabama pulled out a 103 to 78 win over Ole Miss and Oxford. And it, it was probably Alabama's best game that they've played um, overall on the offensive side, the defensive side, um, low amount of turnovers, just all around play that I've, I've seen them in the past few weeks. And that, that's a great sign for this team with coming off the embarrassing loss to Texas A&M at home, which they should have, should have beaten fairly easily and blew a late lead. And, it's a game they desperately needed. Every game's needed, um, but you can't win the next one until you win the first one. So it's kind of a stepping stone to go into Mississippi State on Tuesday. But Alabama won 103-78, to and Kyra Lewis had a double-double with 17 points and 11 assists. Pet, John Petty led the team with 21 points on four of six shooting from the three. And Jaden Shackelford, as always, is a consistent scorer, scoring 18 on three of five shooting from three. And we mentioned it before um, last Sunday, actually, is you play Ole Miss, you're playing a one-man team, Matt. And Brian Tyree, I mean, he had his game, and he had 28 points. He averages 20 a game. But the big moment was when he fouled out with nine minutes left. Kyra Lewis did a great job attacking him off the dribble, forcing him to reach in some. He got picked up a, a cheap foul on a technical. Um, so he got two fouls in one possession. And – him fouling out with nine minutes was pretty much the nail in the coffin, even though they were um, were up 16 at the time with nine minutes left. But it's kind of – I was looking at some of the statistics, and, Matt, if you would have told me that Alabama and Ole Miss would have shot 55% each from the field, I would have been pretty nervous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. And – but when you look at it and see that Alabama made 13 threes – Ole Miss turned it over 20 times to Alabama, I think 11. And that start, I mean, once you see Alabama making threes and shooting efficiently from inside the arc as well, I mean, free throw shooting's, you know, 16 to 28. It's nothing to be proud about by any means. But they really played a complete game inside and out, and that's something that you they really needed because do you remember when they shot, you know, what was it, 59 threes against Auburn and then – um, shot over 40 against Texas A&M. That's just – them shooting 28 free throws was a big deal, I thought. What, what do you think? Because, I mean, that's just that's just showing they're being more aggressive. They're taking what the defense is giving to them and not really settling on threes, whether they're open or not. Yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. We didn't settle for threes and we didn't force it. I thought against A&M on Wednesday, there was a lot of forced shots. The ball movement wasn't great. We let – a&M dictate the style of play. We let their pressure defense kind of slow us down too much where we didn't really run sets. We weren't swinging the ball around. We were really trying to dribble a little bit. It wouldn't work. We dribbled back out, kick out, and jack up a shot. And Shaq was the only one that was really hitting consistently against A&M. Last night, we saw Alabama. They attacked the rim. They, Ole Miss tried to take away the three a little bit more. So Alabama attacked the rim. We played inside. We saw Alex Reese throw a perfect lob pass which no one saw coming. <laughs> uh, it still blows my mind. That's the lob that finally worked this year. 
Mm-hmm. But we, we saw Alabama play a complete game. The defensive intensity was great. If Alabama plays with that level of intensity on defense consistently, this is a really scary team that nobody the rest of the way wants to see. This is a game where we saw John Petty play really well. He shot four or six from three. He also got down low and played in the post a little bit. He would take guys off the dribble, post them low, and do that little right-handed hook that we've seen him do and master as he's been here for the past three years. Galen Smith played well, four or four from the field. Eight points. Um, we didn't see the biggest development from Galen the past couple games. Is it seems like Galen once he catches it high, he's not bringing the ball back down. That was a big development that I noticed especially yesterday. And he even when we give it up to him high, he'll even put it straight up sometimes instead of coming back down. So Galen played well. Um, Herb had another great game. Uh, I know Kermit Davis said out or to Oates before the game that how Herbert Jones is everyone's hero with the way he's playing with one hand and. Played well defensively, played well offensively, grabbed four boards, had a few assists, couple steals, three blocks. Um, the real shift in the game, I felt, was whenever Brian Tyree gets teed up and then Kermit gets tossed and we go to the free throw line. It had been a struggle from the free throw line all game, like you mentioned, 57%. Uh, Beetle Bolden goes and knocks down four in a row, tells the student section he can't hear him after he <laughs> knocks him down. And yeah. it, I thought that was a real turning point in the game. Ole Miss was starting to fight back and cut into the lead, and Alabama extended it back out to, I believe, around 15 at that point. And from then on, I mean, Ole Miss threw punches. Alabama fought back. It was a good fight from the team. Like you mentioned, Tyree got his. Uh, Devontae Shuler also had a great game. But Alabama held everyone else other than those two really in check, and I think that was a good game plan to kind of let those two get the shots off and just don't let anyone else beat you, and I thought we did a really good job at that. Yeah, that was actually a seven-point possession um, when that happened yeah. because Beetle got fouled. I believe it, it might have been Kyra that got fouled, and then um, it was a one-and-one. One, or Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a one-and-one one yet. It was um, – Brian Tyree was mad, got teed up. I don't know what he said. Um, and then Kermit got teed up and got ejected, like you said. So that's four free throws and the ball. And then once he made all three, four free throws, shushed the crowd – John Petty hit a three. I mean, that's going from down 11 with all the momentum and just needing a stop to ultimately losing your coach, your star player getting his fourth foul with 13 minutes left, third and fourth foul, and then going down from 11 to 18 and just with the time all, with the time stopped. That's just, that's just brutal. And Ultimately, that was that was the nail in the coffin. If that wasn't, then Tyree fouling out with nine minutes left down, seventeen was. But you're right, Alabama. I mean, they they attacked the basket. They played very good offensively. Uh, Kyra Lewis with eleven assists and zero turnovers, which is, I mean, that's just remarkable uh, for your point guard. Typically, if you're going to have eleven to zero uh, assist to turnover ratio, that's going to be a pretty good offensive night for your team when that comes from your point guard. But Alabama gets the big quad two win. Um, they jump up to 40 in the net, like I mentioned with Aaron, and Ole Miss dropped to 94, which still is a, a quadrant two win. And they go on the road to face Mississippi State, which is going to be a quadrant one win opportunity uh, with them in the 50s in, in the net. So th- this is going to be the big one, Matt. They have one chance for a um, quality win, per se, being a quadrant one win. And, I mean, they, they obliterated Mississippi State the first time in Tuscaloosa. But, as you know, home game, road game splits can swap or switch in a hurry. They can go from a 21-point win in Tuscaloosa to 
losing by 21 in Starville, and it really wouldn't surprise people. So, obviously, Reggie Perry is going to be the first um, order of business is slowing him down. Uh, you know, Galen Smith did a great job, I thought, of slowing him down the first game, getting some big offensive rebounds, giving Alabama some second-chance points. And you hold him and Weatherspoon um, under wraps, and then Tyson Carter as well. But, you know, playing at the hump, you never know what will happen. So what, what do you see as uh, the keys to the game? Or I probably have – you know, stole your keys. You know, and you and I, we, we think pretty much the same on a lot of things. So um, just bounce that off what I said and kind of what, what you're thinking of what Alabama needs to do. Yeah, I mean, I think you really hit the head on the nail on this one. Uh, Reggie Perry's the biggest difference maker on this team. Uh, he's averaging 17 and 9.8, so practically a double-double. Uh, he's playing great. Tyson Carter's also playing really well. Uh, scoring the ball, 13 and a half points a game been a great guard for him plays really good defense he's in your face uh one of my favorite players i've been able to see him watch this year was actually a guy alabama was kind of on a little bit not super hard but we did recruit him was dj stewart uh coming off a red shirt year he's averaging nine a game playing really well it's been kind of fun to watch him play good shooter decent athlete on top of that they still got robert woodard they got nick weatherspoon iverson molinar i mean this is a really good team uh abdul do another guy i mean this is a team that can crash the glass they're Alabama's got to box out. I feel like we say that for every game. But um, we got to box out, got to keep them off the offensive glass. You know, this this is Galen Smith's game. He plays well against Mississippi State in what seems like it's always a revenge game. Um, he's got to just play the exact same way he did the first time around. He's got to play good defense on Perry. Him and JV and Davis have got to crash the boards, uh, got to box out. We got to see Alex Reese play strong down low defensively. This is it's – it's a fun game. Uh, to preview, it's, it's a fun game that we're getting ready for. And I mean, Mississippi State's a confusing team. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Aaron mentioned it a little bit earlier. You know, Mississippi State played really well in the first half against Ole Miss, then got a score. I think it was like 50 to 20 or something like that the rest of the game. Yeah. And this is a confusing team. They also lost to A&M on Saturday. So that's a common opponent that we've seen in the past two games where A&M got two big wins over Alabama at Alabama, then hosting Mississippi State on Saturday. Uh, this is a Mississippi State team that they're capable of beating anybody. They're capable of losing to anybody. And Alabama is kind of the exact same way. Uh, it's kind of a clash of styles. Alabama's going to shoot a lot. Mississippi State wants to slow it down a little bit more. They're not an extremely slow-paced team, but they want to pound it inside and get Perry his looks, try to get him into the 20s and 10s. Uh, so Alabama's just – got to play big down low. I think that's really the biggest key to this game. And – Having a balanced offensive attack like we saw yesterday is really when this team's going to be most dangerous. Pivoting off of that a little bit and off topic, um, what a job by Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. I, I got to applaud him for – he came in and he lost – I mean, they're not talented at all. And pretty much all they had was Josh Nebo come back. And, man, they're 8-6 and six in the SEC – they're eight and six in conference after their. I mean, you thought they were just going to go winless. You thought they were going to finish below Vanderbilt. Like, you know, losing to Texas A&M at home is obviously um, not a good. I mean, it's a gr- uh, awful loss, I should say, um, at home. But it just feels different losing to a Buzz Williams team. You're like, I can understand that. Just how great he is at preparing his team. They're always playing hard. And 
the results are starting to come late in the year. Beating Mississippi State and Alabama back-to-back, two potential tournament teams. But, yeah, I was just going to bring that up. And something that just popped into my mind that I, I, I've been thinking recently is just how incredible of a job he's done. But, like Aaron said, the last four games are going to be crucial, probably need to win them all. Um, the only one they can really afford to lose if they did would be on Tuesday against Mississippi State. But equally as they could afford to lose it, they really need to win it and to really give them a boost in the resume and probably the net and uh, keep those peripherals high and really good standing. And I don't know, you, you get to the end of the season when, you know, all four or three out of four and then win a couple in the SEC tournament and just see how the rest shakes out. And that's really where we are now. Um, would be a lot better if they would have turned a lot of those L's into W's like Aaron said. But, wow, what a great show. Um, had our first guest, Aaron Torres of Fox Sports, um, host of Fox Sports Radio and the Aaron, Aaron Torres podcast. Um, very good insight. Um, good to get a um, non, per se, non-biased perspective of Alabama basketball and Nate Oates. And um, he, he thinks the future's bright for Alabama as well and Nate Oates. And uh, I think every Alabama fan would say the same um, regardless of the results this year. But... Thanks again for listening to the Double Dribble Podcast. It's been a great show. As always, my name's Jordan Harper. You can catch me on Twitter at HarperNation24 and join with Matthew Landry on Twitter at, at Landry1117. And just stay tuned for another podcast, probably to drop Wednesday morning after the Mississippi State game. And hopefully we can be talking about another quality win in the state of Mississippi. So until next time, this Double Dribble Podcast, adios.